are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. We had a big night here last night. Uh, Our children's ministries team, I'm so proud of, they did a trunk-or-treat event in the parking lot of the Family Life Center, and we had um, many, many people show up uh, from our church and then more people from our community, and it it was a big time. I, uh, I think that Annette and I, we opened our trunk and we gave candy to 12,500 children last night. Uh, they just kept coming and coming and coming. I brought a couple of pictures with me. Um, here is one. This is Jane. Uh, isn't she beautiful? And so I posed for 50 or 60 pictures last night. Here's another of uh, Darcy and, uh, oh, my mind is slipping, but the AG girls. And uh, there's a net and trunk open. It was, it was an awesome night. And so big shout out to our children's team for putting that together. Um, I, I guess I wanted to start this morning by just getting us on the same page and asking you, do you know what you're aiming for in all of life? What's your target? Because you and I know that if you don't know what you're aiming for, you're likely not going to hit it, right? You've got to know where you're headed. And so... As a church, we have said here at Bethany First Church that that we have a mission. So we think we understand what Jesus wants of us, calls us to. And we believe it's this, to be passionate about becoming like Jesus. We think that's the goal of all discipleship, Christ-likeness. What am I aiming for in my life today? I want to be more like Jesus. I have one deep, supreme desire. I want to be like Jesus. And to help people come to know Him. So it's not something we're just going to say, well, we've got ours. We're good. We're not worried about anybody else. No, we want to share it with everybody that we can. And so if this is our mission, if this is what we're aiming at, then how do we go about that? What do we value? What's important to us? So let me show you the next slide, okay? Here's what we're aiming at. We are, or here's what we value. We value being with God. We want to spend time with God. We value being with one another. I'm talking about other believers. We value being with others, meaning people who aren't yet followers of Jesus, and we value living generously. So if we value being with God, what do we actually physically do with our lives every day to live this out? Well, we worship together like we are right now. We also spend one-on-one time with God. I got up this morning. I did what I do every morning. I read the Scripture. I spent time in prayer. I spent one-on-one time with God. So if I tell you that being with God is important to me, then being with you right now is important to me, and spending one-on-one time with God every day is important to me. And the way that we live out being with one another is group life. Now, over half of you are going to leave here in a few minutes, and you're going to go be a part of a group. Some of you are going to go to a group on Tuesday night at Celebrate Recovery. Some of you will go to Bible study on Tuesday morning and be a part of a group. But group life is the way that we live that out. Being with others, the practice is we share our faith. We live with open arms. We say to people who don't know Jesus, come and be a part of my life. I've got room and I've got time for you. And then living generously, we serve with abandon and we share our resources. Now today, we're going to talk about these two practices and living generously. I've also come to realize that when you and I live our lives investing in the things that God calls us to invest in, we increase our momentum in our walk with God. So people say, you know what? 
I got involved in serving. And oh my, Pastor, you wouldn't have any idea what this has done for my walk with God. Or that time that I spend early in the morning with God in the Word and in prayer, God is growing me through that. And so when we talk about how do I keep momentum in my life, well, one of the ways is by involving ourselves in these very important practices that God calls us to. So what I would love to do as we begin now and kind of get together, I want to just um, talk to you for a few minutes about your relationship with wealth. Okay? Some of you are saying, well, that's not going to talk long. That's not going to take long to talk about my relationship with wealth. If you want to talk about my relationship with debt, we could have a long conversation about that. Plenty to talk about there. No, I, I want to talk about your relationship with wealth. Is that okay? In fact, I want to ask you a question. Are you rich? So I get a yes. I got a feeling that there's a conversation happening. Some of you are saying, that's kind of loaded. In what ways am I rich? Do I feel rich? No. Am I rich? Well, compared to who? Well, let's say compared to these guys. Bezos with Amazon. Elon Musk with Tesla. Zuckerberg with Facebook. Pardon me, Meta. Yeah. So you understand the word Meta that they're renaming Facebook is from, uh, from a, a new word that has been formed. Metaverse. Think universe. So they're saying, no, we're talking about another world, a virtual world, metaverse, the metaverse. It all happens out in the metaverse, the virtual world. Do you understand that Bezos is worth $200 billion? $200 billion. I can't even begin to conceive. There was a day when rich people established their status by buying big yachts. Now it's a spaceship. The world has changed, hasn't it? You said, well, Rick, if, if you ask me, am I rich? Well, compared to these guys, no. Well, let me show you another picture. What about these guys? Are you rich compared to them? I took the picture of myself with my phone in a third world country. Little boys with no shoes on who come after school to this place and they stand in a long line with a bowl. And at the end of that long line, they hold up their bowl and someone puts a scoop of rice and a scoop of beans in their bowl. And so if I said to you, are you rich? You might say, well, compared to these boys, I guess I'm, I guess I'm rich. Did you know that if you bring home $12,000 a year, $12,000 annually, if your total income was twelve? thousand dollars one thousand dollars a month if that was your total income you would be in the top 25 percent wage earners in the world one thousand dollars a month means you would be in the top 25 percent of wage earners in the world rich filthy rich yeah. i think this is what we all can agree on Rich people should be willing to share. And I think it's why we sometimes struggle to identify as rich. 
because we all believe that rich people should be willing to share their resources. Do you know what's the heart of it? And this is not something that I've dreamed up. I'm, I'm talking to you from Scripture now. We're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 6. But here's, here's what the struggle is. We tend to want to put our hope in wealth. That's the real struggle. The great temptation for all of us is to put our hope in wealth. And if my hope is in wealth, then I've got to hang on to my wealth. I can't be giving it away. If my hope is in my wealth, then I can't share. Because that's where my hope is. I can't give my hope away, right? But the problem with putting our hope in wealth is simply this. What's the economy going to do in the next 12 months? Do you know? Nobody knows. Wealth is so uncertain. So let me give you the words directly out of Timothy's or Paul's letter to Timothy, okay? First Timothy chapter 6, I'm going to start with verse 17. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. You see, when we have more than someone else, the temptation might be to say, I'm thinking a little too much of myself. Don't do that, he says. Whatever you do, don't do that. Don't be arrogant, nor don't put your hope in wealth. Why? Because it is so uncertain. Well, what should I do? Put your hope in God. This is great theology. Put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything. How much? Everything. For our enjoyment. Command them to do good. To be rich in good deeds. And to be generous. And to be willing to share. I love this. Last verse. This is the promise. In this way. They will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Good stuff from God's Word. You know, it was eight years ago that we actually began our relationship with the Two Lakes community. Rock was hosting a food pantry there on Wednesdays. And Dr. Hal Cawthorn, who sits in front of me, came to me one time and he was serving on the board with Rock. He was directing Rock and he said, uh, we really need a pastor there. Would you pray about it? And I said, I'll, I'll be glad to pray about it, but I didn't really pray through too soon. I didn't know really what to do until I met Thaddeus Black. Thaddeus is a man with a great story of God's life-changing power. Thaddeus came out of prison, a discipled, born-again believer. And Thaddeus and I became friends. I remember the day that I drove Thaddeus into the parking lot of Two Lakes. And I said, Thaddeus, there's a pantry here on Wednesdays. What if? And Thaddeus was filling a call to ministry. What if you did not go to your other job on Wednesdays, but instead you came here? And you spent your day here on Wednesdays. Just praying with people. Just putting your arms around people. Just living with open arms. And he's great at that. And that's what happened. Thaddeus was leading a Bible study on Wednesday afternoon. I remember one time I was busy with something. My phone rings. It's Thaddeus. I answer my phone. And he says, hey, pastor, uh, Bible study's going good on Wednesdays. I said, I'm glad, Thaddeus. And he said, uh, any reason why we couldn't maybe uh, meet on Sundays? And just kind of in a split second, I thought, uh, Thaddeus, the building is rented all week and it's not used on Sundays. And so, yeah, I don't see why not. Okay, thanks, Pastor. And that was it. And then Thaddeus says, we had eight on Sunday. 
And I remember when there was 12. And I remember one day we were over at Southern Nazarene University together and Thaddeus said we had 19. I remember one day I was in the foyer. Thaddeus came in after his Bible study for second service and I said, Thaddeus, you still having 10, 15 people come, you know, for church? And he says, we, we were up until today and I don't know what happened today. I said, what, what happened today? He said, we had 31. It was the first time I remember thinking to myself, I think Thaddeus has slipped up and planted a church. I think that's what's happened. And over these last eight years, God has changed life after life, story after story. The pantry has served the community. Today the pantry serves about 150 families a week. I remember one Sunday morning preaching a sermon about saying yes when God speaks to you. Kim Bryan was in the room and Kim Bryan began to believe that God was asking her to be the catalyst for starting a free medical clinic for Two Lakes. And that morning she said yes. And it was a long journey getting there, but today there's a free medical clinic that serves over 50 families a week. Doctors, volunteer, and nurses, and other volunteers from our congregation and others. We have a powerful youth ministry there. Sam O'Bannon is the youth pastor at the church and the neighborhood ministry center. It's, it's all possible because people said, you know what? Hey, I, God's blessed me. I can give. And other people have said, you know what? I can, I can go serve. I've got, I've got some time. I can volunteer. And it's living out these two practices of serving with abandon and sharing resources. And what has happened is that it's become a community where holistic change is taking place in people's lives. And so not only are people's lives being changed because other people are coming to serve, but those who are being changed are now serving. Isn't that awesome? Let, let me give you a couple of just examples of that. So there's a, a, a young woman who was coming to the pantry three years ago because receiving the food was a real blessing in her life. You know what she is today? She's a social services counselor and she is serving people who are now clients of the pantry. Isn't that awesome? There's a lady whose name is Nikki who has had a drug past in her life. Do you know what God has done? Changed her life. Do you know what she does today? Her career is she's a phlebotomist. And now she volunteers at the medical clinic drawing blood when people need blood drawn. Isn't it amazing what God is doing through the people there? Just amazing. Here's the story. It's what Paul is instructing Timothy about. We've told you what you should not do. Put your hope in wealth. So tell us what we should do. Put your hope in God. And that is the story of this community. It's people whose hope is in God. And they say, you know what? My hope is not in this. My hope is not in my wealth. My hope is in God so I can give it away. And my hope is not in what I can accomplish so I can give my time away. And when our hope is in God, we say, you know what? I can share because God takes care of me. And so then people in the community are putting their hope in God. And they're saying, you know what? I can serve too because God takes care of me. So... The basis for it all being a possibility is simply these words that Paul gives us as he writes to Timothy. 
Because God, see, understand this. It's good theology. God richly provides us with everything. See, God gives me food to put on my table. God puts clothes on my back. I don't provide my food. See, when I begin to think that I'm providing for myself, I've gone down a very dark path. Now, every good thing the Word of God says comes, every good and perfect gift comes from the hand of God. God provides for me. I don't provide for me. God, I, I never want to do this on my own. That's uncertain, right? I want to put my hope in God. He's certain. I'm moving from uncertain to certain. I'm moving from comes and goes to permanent. I'm moving from temporary to last forever. My hope is in something that is always going to be there. If I'm hoping in me, that's a dark path I'm going to let myself down. But my hope is in Him. And so God provides for me. God gets me through the tough days. God brings me through tough times. God walks with me. God speaks to me. God is everything to me. Kim Bryan shared a few things with me, and I just wanted to share them with you. And I really felt the best way was just to read her story to you. She said, I begin to think about how many patients come through the Two Lakes Medical Clinic feeling depressed or anxious or hopeless. So I sat face to face with them. And I listen as they speak about their despair. And when they look into my eyes, they most likely sense that I get it. And Kim says, that's because I do. I pray with them. I cry with them. And I give them words of hope and encouragement that come from a place of a deeper sense of empathy simply because... I have been there. And this is Kim's story. October 31st, 2009. That's 12 years ago today. I had a nervous breakdown. I literally lost my mind. Those are tough words to write, Kim says. My situation was due to hormone imbalances. It's nothing that I'm proud of. And it's not something that's easy to talk about. In fact, the enemy would love to shower me with shame anytime it's mentioned. But I know the Lord delivered me from that nightmare in those days and weeks that followed. And that He continues to use it for His glory. In fact, it's the sole reason that I became a nurse practitioner. And the Lord has used my scarred past as a way of reaching and treating and loving depressed patients like I would have never been able to do otherwise. And then she shares a story. A woman walked into the clinic one day, her face drawn with depression, anger, and hopelessness. Her son was with her, holding his bandaged wrist. He had tried to end his life. So emergency steps were taken for him, and he was taken to a facility. But she stayed behind. We talked. We prayed together. I asked her to trust us. She did. The following Saturday, when she walked through the clinic doors, she looked so different. She had a look of hope in her eyes. It may have been the medication she was given, but I think it was 
much more about the time that she spent with the volunteers and Pastor Thaddeus in prayer and finding loving support. Now her and her son continue to come to the clinic and the food center regularly, but they are now living with the hope of a better tomorrow. And Kim concludes by saying, I'm so thankful that she came through those doors and that her son came with her on that day in their brokenness because the Lord touched her that day. And although I wouldn't want to relive the day of 2009 when my life came to such a difficult place, it's such an honor to look into the patient's eyes and to say to them, I get it. You see, Kim Bryan understands that God is her provider, and God is her healer, and God is the one who brings her through, and God is the one who takes care of her. Here's, here's what I'm trying to say. We, we have this idea where we go, God's first, right? God first. Everybody good with that? Others second. Everybody good with that? Well, that means I'm third. No, it doesn't. God takes care of me. I've got it made. I'm in good shape. God's first. I can put others second because God's taking care of me. And I don't have anything to worry about when God's taking care of me. So therefore, if my hope is in God, then I can just say, I can focus on you. I can share with you. I can serve you. I can spend energy and time and resources on you. Here's the point I'm trying to make. When we put our hope in God, we are free to be rich in good deeds, as Paul says, and that means to serve others and to be generous and willing to share. We can give of our resources. I love this promise, this promise that comes, the promise that says, you know, in doing so, you're laying up treasures in the coming age so that you can find life that is truly life. Here's what he's saying. When you and I live according to the values of the kingdom of God, we find life now and in the world to come. Real life. But we struggle. Because we want to put our hope in wealth. We believe that if we can just get some more, maybe we can be okay. If I can just get some more money, some more stuff... And maybe I can be okay. Culture says, if you want life, if you really want to live, you just got to get some more. But Jesus says, if you really want to live, you just got to give some more away. So let me, let me wrap up with this. I was, um, I was down at a dinner for Reaching Our City, Rock, uh, a few weeks ago. They're doing really good work there. You may say, I'm confused. Are we supporting Rock or are we supporting Two Lakes? The answer is yes. We, we've been blessed. We can support both, right? And we should. We need to. And so I spoke very briefly. But I remembered with them the words of Mother Teresa who said, I don't do great things. You kind of want to argue with her, don't you? But Mother Teresa said, I don't do great things. I do small things with great love. And she said, small things done with great love will change the world. I don't do great things. 
She said, I do small things. And small things done with great love will change the world. And so I left. I got in my car and I came home. And a young mom and wife was there. And she sat down at her computer and she sent me an email. And she said, um, I loved your words tonight about Mother Teresa. And she said it reminded me of some words of Michael Ramsey, former Archbishop of Canterbury. He published them in a book. And he said, sometimes when you consider the world problems and tragedies, you might be tempted to think that your ministry, what you do, is so small. Making the tiniest difference when you consider the whole world. He said, but remember that one of the greatest claims of Christianity is that small things really matter. One man, one woman, one child is of infinite worth to God. And so consider Jesus, Ramsey says, who spent hours with very few. <laughs> you know, giving his time to one person, a woman at a well, a man named Nicodemus. And he says, you will never be nearer to Jesus than when you spend time serving one man, one woman, one child who is of infinite worth to God. I think sometimes we think to ourselves, what, what, what can I really do? I mean, when I think about all the needs in this world, what can I really do? And I love the words of Andy Stanley. He said, do for one what you wish you could do for many. See, you don't say, well, I can't help everybody, so I'm just going to do nothing. No, he says, just do it for one. At least do it for one. And so when you came in this morning, you were given a, a pamphlet, a brochure, and it just, it just tells you much about the ministry that's taking place in this Two Lakes community. And so, on the very back page, and, and, and when I say this, I mean it. I want you to take it home with you, and I want you to read every word of it. Um, you, your heart, I, I sat the other morning, and for the first time, I read through it, and my heart was so full. Um, and then on the very back, there's a tear-off. And, and I would love for you to fill it out this morning before you leave, and I would love for you to tear it off, and I would love for you to... Drop it in a connect box that is at every door as you leave this sanctuary. There is a red connect box. You can see it right there on the wall. You can see it on that wall. You can see it as you go out. But, but the one way that we support the ministry of Two Lakes is through people like you who are committed to praying. That God will use what is done to change lives. And, and the other way is by people volunteering and serving. And so we're asking you to consider, consider serving here. And, and the other way is by your generosity and giving. And so 
the, 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 the lifeblood. And we have partners who are now coming along beside us. Butterfield is helping us, Foundation. Uh, Life Church is helping us. Uh, we just received a grant to, to really combat the issue of sugar diabetes in that Two Lakes community of $25,000. But the real lifeline is recurring givers. So every time that Annette and I um, get paid, a certain amount of money that comes out of our check is just a gift that goes to Two Lakes. We set it up online, it comes out automatically. Did you know that the lifeblood of the ministry of Two Lakes is recurring giving? It, it's just a group of people who attend this church, and maybe a few who don't, who just say, you know what, I'll go in and I'll just give a month or $50 a month or $75 a month or $100 a month and I'll support this ministry. And so if you say, well, I, you know, I'm not into that, the recurring thing at, online, it's hard for me. Um, if you want to write a check for 25000 a day, we'll become comfortable with that, okay? We'll just, we'll find a way to get comfortable with your way of giving. That'll be okay too, yeah. But would you consider a recurring gift or would you consider a one-time gift today to support this very special ministry that we are convinced God has called us to be part of? And as God is changing lives there, I believe that God is changing lives here. Yeah. So, Lord, you're good. We want to be used by you. That you will use us to make a difference in this world. And I pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.